Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Um, okay, let's welcome Keely. Well, safeguarding, see Jackie. Okay, later today. Okay, I want to get my wife on. Here she is. Let's give her a huge welcome. Can I pray for you? If you want to. I'd love to. <laughs> Probably spends his life praying for me. Dear Lord, we just thank you for all that you're doing, God, in our lives. We bless, bless Keely this morning. We bless what she's brought to us, God. And we just pray that, God, our hearts will be good soil to receive all you have. In Jesus' name. Amen. And your clicker is there. My clicker is there. Am I on? Yes. I was on earlier when I was speaking. I was covering my hand over. Wow, well, I think God's already started uh, speaking, which is always good to know. You know, the, he's saying the same thing that he's been saying to me, and amazing what Alison shared, and the songs and everything. So it's all going to flow. I'm just checking I've got this upside down. So, hello, everyone. I've missed my little slot today, so I'll say hello to you here. So I'm just going to make sure my trousers don't fall down as well with my pack on. <laughs> I never wear the right clothes when I get here and go, oh, no, heavy pack. Anyway, this is the last talk in our Living Differently series, which we've been doing through 1 Peter. Have you enjoyed it? Yes. Well, you've got to say that, really, haven't you? <laughs> but hopefully you have. And Peter's been reminding us in this letter that this is not our home. This is a temporary place, and obviously our home is heaven, and we are called to live differently. We're aliens on the earth now, and we're called to live differently, to be different so that people um, can see Jesus in us. And this week we're in the last chapter, so let's read chapter 5 together. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So I want to focus on verse 6 onwards. There's so much in this passage, but I'm just going to focus on the, the latter part and look how that we can live differently through times of suffering and hardships and how we can grow through challenges and pain. But, you know, we will be uplifted by the end of it. Uh, uh, one of the most crucial lessons that we can learn as a Christian, I think, is to handle uh, suffering, because suffering is a certainty. It might be physical suffering, 
Uh, we're growing old, aren't we, all of us, and our bodies get frailer, we might have illnesses. It might be the uh, grief of watching a loved one suffer or even losing a loved one. It might be problems stemming from our own bad choices um, that cause us to suffer or maybe the choices of other people to us. It might be the common pressures of life, just finding life difficult and wondering how we're going to pay the bills. That's often a pressure for people. And it might be emotional suffering, feelings of fear, worry, loneliness. Wherever it comes from, though, suffering is inevitable and no one can escape it. We're not promised an easy life because in John 16:33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's an incredible verse that I absolutely love. So there is hope in God, whatever we're going through, because he has overcome the world. Every problem we face, he can cope with because of his death and resurrection. So sufferings will come and problems will come and we can either grow bitter or better, depending on how we handle them. In Mark chapter 4, we read about the parable of the sower and it's significant that two of the three soils failed to produce a crop, failed to thrive, um, because they represent people who didn't deal with suffering very well. The rocky soil, Jesus explained, re- represents those who received the world, uh, the word, sorry, but didn't put down deep enough roots so that when troubles came, they just choked up and died. And the thorny ground uh, reflects those who were joyful at first, but then again the troubles of the world choked them and so they didn't bear any fruit. So if we don't learn to handle affliction... We won't thrive as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. We won't survive. But if we do learn, we're we're aware of what's going on and we learn how to handle it, then we will be mature and we will bear a lot of fruit. So Peter here in this passage gives us three strategies for growing through suffering. Humble yourself before God. Be alert and resist the devil and trust the Lord. Okay, and we're going to look at all of those things. So, the first couple of verses. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. I mean, that alone is just incredible, isn't it? The Oxford Dictionary defines anxiety as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease about something with an uncertain outcome. And I think, if we're honest, all of us have anxiety at some point in our lives. Some people worry about the small things and some people only worry about big things when they happen and some people worry about everything, the big and the small. But some people really struggle with overwhelming and crippling anxiety. And what I'm going to share today, of course, applies to everybody. But I want you to know that where there's a mental illness, then please hear me that I know that there are lots of strategies and therapies and counselling that you can really benefit from. And I would say today, get some help. If it's, if it's a mental um, illness and you need help, please go to the doctor and get help. But also do what I'm going to talk about today because God can be very much part of your healing too. So the Greek word translated anxieties comes from a word meaning to divide. Anxieties divide our minds so that we can't concentrate on anything else. And someone defined worry as a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Which I just think, wow. When I read that, I, was, I just thought, well, that's it in a, in a tea. I'll read it again. A small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts 
are drained. Does anybody identify with that? I think we all do, don't we? Anxious thoughts can become so all-consuming if we don't deal with them. And they seem to create this um, rut in our mind. And we know that physiologically this is actually a fact as well now because science is so advanced. But it just feels like everything else just falls into this chasm of fear, into this rut, because we haven't dealt with it. And then we can't experience joy at all. So worries and anxieties are caused when life is hard, when we have unanswered questions, when the worry and the anxieties start, when we can't control our circumstances and we start to look for ways to control them ourselves. And that's human nature, and God really knows that, which is why he addresses it in his word. But we are called to be countercultural. We're called to be different. We aren't called to do it the world's way and just sit in a worry pit. We're called to live above that. And like I said, God does give us lots of ways we can do that. And worries are so affected because they distract us from God, which is obviously the whole purpose of the enemy. He doesn't want us to be focusing on our purpose. He wants to distract us. And so if he can get us uh, into that rut of anxiety and worry, then he's really won. They, worries take our eyes off God. They bring us down and they cause us stress. And they, they make us take our eyes off God and he's the one who can actually save us. And yet we divert our eyes um, off him and look at ourselves. So it says here, humble yourself before God. Why is there a need for humbling ourselves in a time of anxiety, you might ask yourself? Well, when we worry about things, what we're actually doing is exalting ourselves because we're thinking we can handle this ourselves. We're not trusting in God, we're looking at ourselves. We know we should trust God in all things because we read about it, but when it comes down to it, what we actually do is say, I think I can do this actually better myself. And without realising, we're adopting an attitude of pride. Now, I'd never thought a bit about it like that, that worry and anxiety is an attitude of pride because we're thinking that we can deal with our own stuff ourselves, that we need to find the answers to life's problems. And actually, that's not what the Bible says. We don't always choose to humble ourselves and ask for God's peace. We want to stay in control and we want to sort the problem out ourselves. And when God says... Cast your anxieties on me and humble yourself. What he's saying is, step down. Don't try and do this yourself. Look to me because I'm the one who will give you peace. Don't be proud and stubborn, but come to me. I just want you to imagine for a moment that you're on a a really lovely ship, boat, and the weather's beautiful, and you're just going along and the sun's out. Can you all imagine that? Some of you might love that. Some of you might already be panicking at the thought of being on the ocean. (laughs) But if you can just go bear with me and imagine that you're on a a ship. But then the weather turns and a big storm comes up, okay? And I'm just going to show a clip of something, which is horrible. But um, (laughs) I don't really think I'm ever going to do a cruise. But um, just have a watch of this.
hideous. <laughs> I'm traumatised watching it now, I can't carry on. <laughs> um, who would actually like to be on that boat? I know, I know, I know. How weird and random is that? That boat, Simon tells me, is made for that. You can tell that was actually cutting through the waves and uh, I think it's like a warrior ship. It's not a cruise liner. And it was, you can see, handling it very well. However, <laughs> if you're on that boat and you started to feel frightened, or any boat, let's imagine you're on a cruise liner and the waves are crashing in over the side. And, you know, imagine feeling terrified, but going up to the bridge where the captain is and going... Excuse me, can you just step aside, please? I would like to steer this ship through the storm. Could you imagine the arrogance of assuming that you knew more than the captain of the ship, who'd actually done many storms like that and guided the, the ship through many? Imagine um, how he would feel. And would that help the situation at all? If you tried to get up on the... <laughs> Hold on, let me steer this. I know what I'm doing, but you've never actually even been on a boat. Um, so what would help in that storm? What would help you feel better? Maybe if you stop to think a moment about the captain's competency and that he's a veteran and the fact that he's driven through many storms and he's not flapping at all. I always like it on a plane when the air hostesses aren't flapping about something that I'm considering to be, you know, like a slight bit of turbulence. <laughs> but if the air hostesses aren't strapped down, that's all right. And Simon always goes, just look, they're fine, they're still giving out the tea. <laughs> Um, but if you had a chance to talk to the captain and say, look, are you okay with this? You know, how do you feel? And he says, don't worry, it's going to be fine. The ship's built to go through these waves and you don't need to worry at all. I think that would bring you some reassurance. You may still be in for a very rough ride. I'm not saying it would be a great storm, but you can go through it without the level of anxiety that maybe you would have had if you'd started steering it yourself. And I think this is a good analogy of what we do. I know in my own life, I often try and battle through things on my own, almost pushing God out of the way and saying, I can deal with this. I actually know more than you, and I'd quite like to stay. I don't say these words. Um, but, you know, I think we do deep down. We are saying to God, I think I can deal with this a bit better than you can. So please, you know, step aside and let me, because I'm not sure you're even looking or steering or at the helm. And uh, when I stop and talk to him... That's the thing that brings me reassurance, if I actually do. When I say, OK, God, what are you doing? How, how is this working in my life? Where are you? He always stops and talks to me, and then I can step down and uh, humble myself before him. But I need to stay in that humble place and not take the reins back, because I think often the chances we're up and down, running up to the bridge, aren't we? Hold on, I think I need to have another go. And actually, we need to stay humble and rely on God. George Muller who's a um, famous man who set up orphanages, used to tell the story of a boy who was walking along the road carrying a rucksack and a horse and cart passed him and uh, the man said, do you want to come and, and have a ride? And he sat in the, the cart, but he wouldn't take his heavy rucksack off him. And the man said, why won't you take that rucksack off? And he said, because I don't want to burden the horse anymore. And uh, I think when we choose to accept the Lord, it's like we climb into that cart and we say yes to Jesus and for him to um, bring us through our trials. But often we keep that backpack on, don't we, of, of worry and heavy burden because we think, oh, you know, I need to keep this close to me and I don't really want to burden God and all my problems are too big. And so we literally sit there in life with our burdens. When Jesus said, cast all your burdens and anxieties on me and I will give you rest, but we don't do that. So why don't we just let go when all our promises are in him and yet we struggle so much to do that? We doubt God's sovereign control. 
We ask, where is God in all of this? And we doubt his concern for us. We say, well, if God cares for me, why am I going through all of this? And those are really hard things to get past when you're in a time of struggling. But Peter says that we must bow and acknowledge that um, God is mighty and he's sovereign and he has almighty power. And we must believe when trials hit that God's not asleep at the helm, that he's fully in control even when we don't feel like it. He hasn't gone to sleep. He's not having his nap. He's there, but we need to engage with that so that we don't feel the need to run up to the bridge and, um, and take control. We need to acknowledge how much he loves us because he really does. He cares for us personally and would never leave us to go through a trial on our own. And no doubt Peter was remembering Jesus' teaching when he said, God cares for the birds and for the lilies of the field, then how much more will he care for each of us? And having acknowledged these two things, God's sovereignty and his care for us, we can then begin to cast our anxieties onto him and we reposition ourselves to listen to what he says. And then we can um, begin to thank, thank him and use thankful prayer. In Philippians 4 verse 6 it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this verse encourages us to pray, to talk to God. Remember that's all prayer is, it's talking to God, sharing our lives with him and saying, God, I don't feel great, I feel under attack, I feel rubbish, where are you? All of those things are valid prayers, and then listen to what God says, because it's a conversation. And then, after we've done that, and you might need to do it repeatedly, you might need to keep on saying to God, I believe, I don't believe, I'm trusting, I don't trust, but you keep on that conversation all the time, and then I really would encourage you to try thankful prayer. Um, I've got a journal at home that I just literally write down things that I'm thankful for. It's something to go back to when you can't find things or you can't remember them. And it's just a continual list of things. And I call it my thankfulness journal. And I just have a long list of even the most basic things that I'm thankful for. Because sometimes when you're struggling, all of that goes and you just feel so rubbish. And you think, I just don't know what I'm thankful for. There's nothing in my life that's worth anything. But even the fact that you're alive and breathing is a first step to say if you can't think of anything else. But once you start honestly, you will be able to thank God for many things. So, a posture of humility, acknowledging our need for God is definitely the first step in helping us in times of trial, because when we surrender, we invite God into the suffering and into the anxiety, and then the Holy Spirit can freely work, because often we block what God wants to do because we're so stubborn. And it's what Amy talked about last week. It's that intangible joy of the Lord that we can't even explain it. But when you surrender your life to God and you bring him into the pain and bring him into the suffering, a bit like what Alison was saying, you know, she's gone through a really hard time this week, but God has sustained her and God has given her joy. When in the world's eyes, you think, how can you be joyful at all when you're going through hard times? But actually, there are many instances throughout church history and still going on now where people are in um, experiencing incredible pain and persecution, and yet the joy of the Lord is, is there for them. And that's a mystery, but something that we need to take a hold of. So, humble ourselves. Be alert and resist the devil. So God does not make us carefree in order that we might become careless. In the next verses, Peter says, Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's quite a strong image, isn't it? Likening God to, likening, sorry, the enemy to um, a lion prowling around waiting to devour us. Do we pay attention? Do we really know that? 
I don't think I always do. If I told you that a lion had been spotted outside on the car park or um, in your street, maybe, would you just happily wander out there and have a little look? Yeah, I'm good. I was, yeah, I've actually got in my notes here, Simon actually would. That's a whole other story that he needs healing from. I'm um, or that you wouldn't send the children out to play and investigate it. But actually, that is what the Bible says the devil is doing with us. He's prowling around like a lion, and we just sometimes go through our lives completely unaware of the potential danger. I just want us to watch a clip. This is a lion of a lioness, because I think the females are always the most powerful and hunt the prey. So this is of a female lion. But don't worry, we don't get to anything graphic. I just want to give you an example. <laughs> I thought I'd actually... Well, let's watch it. A family of warthogs gives the adults a chance to show just how it should be done. (laughs) In long grass, the initial approach can be rapid. She aims to narrow the gap as fast as possible, ideally to less than 30 metres. Crucially, she matches each move to her prey's reactions. If it looks up, she stops. If it looks away, she goes on. In a series of fits and starts, she gradually closes the gap. As she gets closer, she moves more slowly and her profile melts into the grass. Lions find it hard to outrun their prey. Every inch nearer will tilt the odds in her favour. Only her tail betrays her emotion. Now even padded soles are a liability. She turns her foot. Fur is quieter. So do you think he got them? She got them, sorry. Oh, she didn't actually. They had God on their side. (laughs) And they'd learnt this sermon. (laughs) They were alert. No, they weren't very alert. But I just wanted to show you that to give you a vivid picture of a lion and what it does when it's actually stalking its prey because they go slowly. They're stealth... stealth Stealthily. They go stealthily. They have stealth. (laughs) They operate with much stealth. They are stealthy. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry for those listening online. My brother. (laughs) Hello, Alex. Um, uh, They watch and they wait and they hide. And wasn't it interesting where she turns her paws even just to to be so still and quiet? Um, And then they pounce and attack, and normally they do get their prey from that, but the the wildebeest... Is that what they were? Warthogs. Sorry, I knew it was a W. (laughs) They actually all managed to escape, and it's a good clip. Um, But many of us are vulnerable to Satan's attacks because we aren't aware of that kind of mode, of the fact that he creeps upon us, he's stealthy, he hides, 
He's slow. He waits. But who is the devil? We've obviously said a lot about the devil, and you might be thinking, I don't know who the devil is, or, or what does it mean in our modern context? Because he's not a lion, I'll just tell you that, and he's not somebody with a pitchfork, so you can get that image out of your head. He's not a cartoon character. The Bible tells us that he's a very personal and real enemy for those of, that, for those of us who love Jesus. And he's a spiritual enemy who wants to undermine us and um, attack us and bring harm to us. He's no way for us, for us, and his whole uh, aim is to bring us down, and as I said earlier, to take our eyes off God and what our purpose is in him. And he's constantly looking for our weak spots. He's constantly looking at us and going, how can I get into this believer's life? He wants nothing more than for us to be completely unaware of him, to be going through our daily life, not aware that there is someone, a very real presence, watching out for us. And I'm not saying it's the devil. He has lots of um, demons. I'm not going into all of that either today. But there is a force that is against us, and we need to be aware of it so that we can stand up and deal with it. So how does he attack us? Well, the word devil is the translation of the word diablos, which is more of a job description, really, than uh, it is a, a name. If we understand the word devil then we'll know exactly what he does. So the word devil is a compound of the words dia and balo. You'll find this quite interesting, I did. The word dia, that's D-I-A, has many meanings depending on how it's used. However, in this particular context, uh, it means through, as to pierce something straight through from one side all the way through to the other. And the word balo means to throw, like when a person throws a stone or a ball um, uh, or some other object, but throwing. So when these two words are joined, it means to repetitiously throw something, striking again and again until the object being struck has finally been completely penetrated. And that's a really vivid and interesting, but that's the root of those words, dear and ballo, in this context. So this is a vivid job description of what the enemy does. It tells us exactly how he operates and how he attacks us, because he comes to assault our mind, not once, but many times. He strikes our mind and our emotions time and time again. And he just keeps on striking until he wears us down. And then as soon as our defences are down and our mental resistance is down, he gives one last firm punch that finally succeeds and penetrates into our mind. And once he's gained access into our mind, he can build a stronghold and um, overwhelm us with lies on top of lies. Does anybody relate to that? Oh, it's gone quiet. But if we listen to those lies, and if we believe them, which is so subtle, this isn't like a full-on fight that you're having. This is a very subtle attack from the enemy. The way I'm describing it might sound like, oh, it's very vicious, but it's not. It's a very subtle attack because these attacks come in the form of lies. But the fact is, when we're in a time of trial or persecution or when we're feeling low, we are very susceptible to the lies of the enemy. And if we're not spending time with God, building our interior life, then we are very susceptible. We almost will be unaware of what's coming at us. And the lies feel like truth. They just feel like normal um, things in, in our life that are coming towards us. And we don't stop and think, wow, that's not the truth. That's the enemy. But this is why we must stay alert, which is what it says here. Be alert and sober-minded. Be aware of the enemy's strategy against us and um, recognise our thoughts as well and like I said knowing that they're not our thoughts they are coming at us as an assault of our mind and if our thoughts don't line up with the bible with the word of God then they are lies and that's the end of that 
If they don't line up with what the word of God says about us, then they are lies. So Peter says, uh, as we've just read, uh, resist him standing firm in the faith. In James 4, 7, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that's not the right scripture. That's Ephesians 6.10, which says, take your stand against the devil's schemes. And these three words in bold, yellow, hopefully you can see them, um, are from the same Greek word, antihistamine. I had to put that in bold because I kept saying it's antihistamine. <laughs> I've had to literally phonetically write it out, antihistamine, because I kept looking at it and when it's written it looks like a funny word. And that's the compound of the word anti and istomy. And the word anti means um, against, as to oppose something, and istomy means to stand. So when those, three wo- when those two words are placed together, they form the word antistomy, which is the same root word for those three in all those verses. And it means to stand against or stand in opposition. And it's a word that demonstrates the attitude of someone who is fiercely opposed to something and therefore um, determines that he will do everything in his power to resist what's um, coming at him. By using this word, the Bible plainly is telling us that we need to be active. We must be aggressively determined to stand against the work of the devil. And just shutting our eyes and hoping it's all going to go away is not what these verses say. It's not a passive thing. We need to take an active stance. We need to put our full force um, forward to drive him back. And our stand against the devil must be firm and steadfast and unyielding and not wavering. Because otherwise we won't stand strong against the bombardment of lies that will come our way. And when Paul says in Ephesians to put on the full armour of God, he doesn't mean physical armour, literally. He uses that analogy so that we can imagine dressing for battle. And again, warning us that we are in a fight. This is not something that's, oh yeah, we just go through our lives, isn't it lovely? It is lovely, but we also are in a battle, a spiritual battle, and we need to be aware. I'm not going to go through all of the um, pieces of armour because um, obviously that's a whole other sermon and you can look at it yourself. But there's a couple I want to draw out which I think are relevant to this, which is the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit. So the truth of God is who we are in him and who he is in us. And when we know that, we will be able to stand. When we really know who God is, the sovereignty of God, and who we are in him, which is what he's done for us and what our righteousness in him because he died for us and rose again. When we really know that, that's a great start. And obviously linked to that is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So how do we get that truth inside of us, knowing who God is and knowing who we are in him and what that truth is? Well, God gave us the word, didn't he? He gave us the Bible and that's our weapon. And I don't think we've got any excuse today to not really know the word and use the word. I looked on my phone Bible app and there's over 40 translations, just free, like that. You don't even have to buy a book. It's a free app, Bible on on phone, and there's over 40 translations. So you can read, you can study, you can read any translation, but you can also, on many of them, just press a button and it will read it to you. I mean, that's great technology. If you don't like reading, you can have it read to you. (laughs) You can also have texts every day can't you of the a verse of today you can have emails there's so many things that we have at our fingertips now that other people just don't have and they certainly haven't had them in the past um i think we're actually spoiled so much so that it becomes a little bit blasé that the scripture and you know do we really do we really know it and that's not like i said the case in other parts of the world where the bible is a treasured 
um, weapon for them and comfort. But do we see it as a weapon? Do we really understand what we've got in our hands or on our phone? I'm not sure we do. Do we take it for granted? Because there is real power in the word of God and the truth of that will set us free from all of this stuff I'm talking about, your anxieties and your worries and the feeling of stress when you're in a time of persecution. But it involves us really knowing it. It's not, it's not good enough to just have the app on our phone. And it's not good enough to just have the Bible in our bedside table, in our drawer at work. It's, it's got to be read and digested and understand it, understood. We've got to have it in our deepest parts for it to become our armour. And Jesus actually calls Satan the father of lies, which again is a great description of him. That's in John chapter 8. And we need to pay attention because that is the truth, that he's the father of lies. So what kind of lies? Let's shout out some lies that you think Satan might say to us on a daily basis. You're not good enough. You're not beautiful. You can't be forgiven. You can't be forgiven. Yeah, what you've done, too bad. That's he doesn't love you. You're abandoned. You're stupid. You're selfish. I mean, honestly, the list is endless. And once we start to recognise that, that these words are not from God, therefore they're from the enemy. So when he whispers into your hearts those things, you're not good enough, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything, that you have to listen and go, right, that is not from my Heavenly Father. So we need to know and believe the truth so that we can uh, recognise that when something doesn't line up with the Word of God, we immediately think, that is not true, that is not coming from my Father's heart. And too often I think we imbibe those words because we just, it's such a subtle onslaught that they become who we are. And I just want you to show you some examples of scriptures. I'm going to whiz them through because time is running out. But um, just to show you, I got these very quickly online. Um, and if you had some of these on your phone or printed out, you know, stuck around your room, this would be a great way to just really understand. Because some of the truth in scripture, I do sometimes think we're very blasé about it. But if we just look at some of these, I'll have to get a bit closer. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. I'm not going to read where they're all from, but they're obviously all from scripture, taken straight from scripture. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. How great you are, O sovereign Lord, there is no one like you. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. I trust you to save me, Lord God, and I won't be afraid. Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust in him. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. My grace is all you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. With his love, he will calm all your fears. And when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. I mean, that is just straight from the Bible. And there's so many of those verses which tells us how to deal with stuff, who God is, who he's going to be in our times of trouble, who we are, 
in relation to him. And if we only had that and learnt them, or had them, you don't even need to learn them because you could screenshot them on your phone, um, print them out. Like I said, there's so many ways for us to have scripture accessible to us, but they're so powerful and they will change the way we think. So when you hear lie after lie assaulting your mind, please try and get a scripture into your heart that is, a, is the opposite to what you feel that, that verse is, that the, the lie that's coming from Satan. But the first uh, step is to recognise that it's a lie. So yes, the devil lies about who we are and he tries to convince us that uh, God's plan for our life will never come to pass and we're rubbish and we may as well give up and quit now. He wants us to believe that we're failures and pathetic people who won't amount to anything. But God has given us the name of Jesus and the promises in his word, and that's what we need to stand on. John 8.32 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we have to believe that, guys. We have to believe that the truth will set us free from the stuff that this world's throwing at us. The truth of God's word in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives is our greatest defence. And if you want to learn more about how to use scripture, then I really recommend you do the Freedom in Christ course. There's another one starting in the autumn term. Oh, rushing on. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Remember that Satan is a defeated foe. Because Jesus died on the cross for us, for our sins and rose again, he has no power. Okay? The victory is in God. So as a church family, we need to be alert, as individuals, but as a church family too. The devil does not want us to reach the lost in our communities, in our neighbourhoods. He doesn't want us to reach the lonely. And he'll do everything in his power to discourage us and make us feel defeated. And we must stand together and encourage one another, speak truth to one another, talk about how much God loves each other and what he can do for you. So if someone else is down and you've got a scripture that you know is going to really build someone up, then tell them, text it to them, email it to them. Let's encourage each other as a, as a family. We don't need to stand alone. And as suggested by Peter's reminder in verse 9, the devil will get you to think that you're the only one going through this trial. But he says, doesn't he, um, there's brothers and sisters across the world experiencing this. And in our context, it is usually horrendous. So our trial's not unique, and we should never feel that we stand alone. And remember that verse 6 comes before verse 9. We must bow before God before we stand against the devil. So it's about positioning ourselves, humble ourselves, know who we are, and then get ready to stand against the devil. Lastly, trust the Lord. I'm going to race through this because... I believe God wants to do some stuff. Uh, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And the message, love it, is great. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. So Peter is saying, God hasn't forgotten you in your trial. He's the God of all grace. And he's called us all into um, eternal glory in Christ. Therefore, we can trust him with our lives. Just seeing what I can cut out. Lastly, 
just want to go through this. These are four things that he says in this chapter, in this verse. Put the trial in perspective. He said it will only last for a little while. And you might be saying, but Keely, mine's gone on for years and years. You don't understand. It's huge. And I've suffered for weeks or I've suffered for years. It's not a little while. But in the context of eternity, it is. And Paul wrote about this in, in Corinthians. He said, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And our suffering on this earth, however hard and however long we feel it is, is temporary compared with the everlasting joy that we are, going to be, we are being prepared for right now. And we need to put God in perspective. It says God is the God of all grace. He's not the God of a little bit of grace. And he's not the God of a lot of grace. He's the God of all grace. And his grace is like the ocean. It's a limitless supply. So when you're down, just imagine those waves of grace crashing over you because he's the God of all grace and it will never run out. And put God's calling and purpose for our lives in perspective. Remember that he's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. You didn't come to God on your own. He's called us to be his sons and daughters. So in in our trials, let's look ahead to what God has promised us and focus on that. And lastly, put God's purpose for trials in perspective. Because although trials are hard, um, God will perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish us through trials. I'm going to skip to the end because uh, we are running out of time. So let's just acknowledge that suffering will come in this life. Jesus said it would, but he promises that he's overcome the world and he gives us strategies to help us. He's given us the word of God to build us up. Be aware that the enemy does not like you and he wants to destroy you. He wants to pull you off track so that you're not focusing on the things of God, but you're focusing on yourself and your own worries. We can be people of God who really press into this. And it won't take our troubles away, but hopefully we will live in a place where we are constantly humbling ourselves and giving God our burdens, resting in his presence, filling ourselves with the truth from his word and living more victorious and not coming underneath it. And in doing that, we can show the world there's a different way to live because the world's in a pretty big mess as well. And I think people are looking to us to see how are you dealing with things. Shall we stand? just want to say it's very obvious today that God knows where we're all at you know the different words that have come um, God is well aware of your circumstances so let's close our eyes and let's just focus on the Lord and what he's been saying to you personally I'm sure it's been different for all of us you might have nothing in your life at the moment and you might feel quite good or you might know somebody who's struggling or you actually might feel really under attack You might feel that you have anxious thoughts bombarding you all the time. Or you have a a big thing that's worrying you and hanging over you and you know you're trying to take control when you know you need to humble yourself and trust the Lord. So wherever you're at, why don't you just, if you feel able or you want to, just hold your hands out. And I'm just going to just pray that God will, Holy Spirit will come and minister to us. Thank you. Heavenly Father, that you love us so much and you give us so much guidance and instruction on how to do life well. And we're sorry, God, when we don't listen, when we try and do things on our own. Today we want to bring you our burdens. 
want to lay them down at the foot of your cross, take off our heavy rucksack and say, it's yours, God. You promised to take this from me and you promised to give me rest. Just imagine in your mind's eye giving that rucksack to God, maybe, or whatever it is that you're feeling heavy, weighed down by, give it to God and let him take it from you. The Holy Spirit is here to minister. Sometimes you bring people to the front, there isn't time today, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit cannot work right where you are, right where you're standing or sitting. If you, again, we've, we've talked about healing, but if you've got, you know, a loved one or yourself that you feel you're, you're not well, then give it to God and say, I trust you, God. I trust you with my illness. I trust you that I don't know what's going on at the moment. I trust you that I haven't seen a breakthrough. And if you're struggling to believe, then pray that prayer. Lord, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Holy Spirit, I just pray peace on everybody. That peace that passes all understanding. Would you exchange burdens and worries and anxiety and ill health for your peace, Holy Spirit? Would you do an exchange right now, God, as people give over to you things that are worrying them? And God, would you speak into every heart a truth about who they are? That they are loved, that they're children of God, that they stand clothed in your righteousness, that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just welcome him in to bring that peace. Sometimes I imagine breathing in the Holy Spirit and breathing out all of the stuff that just clogs us up like just literally breathe out and say, God, have it all. And then breathe in that presence. It's just something that helps sometimes. And then breathe out and just say, God, I don't want the worry. I don't want the anxiety. I don't want the fear. And then breathe in that Holy Spirit. And Lord, I break off anxiety now for anybody, God, who's struggling. I'll break it off in the name of Jesus. Your cross defeated it all, God. Where people are afflicted with worry and anxiety, where it's crippling them, where it's overwhelming, where they wake up and they feel anxious, God. We just pray against that in the name of Jesus. We pray your power and your spirit and your peace into their hearts. Father God, thank you for your presence with us today, Lord. Would you equip us to be the people that we need to be, Lord, to do life well, to not cave in when suffering comes, but to to handle it well, to do it with you, to not take the helm, God, but to humble ourselves. I pray you'd continue to be with us today and for the rest of this week, Lord, and speak to us and show us, speak scripture to our hearts and build us up, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, everyone. Sorry we've gone slightly over. If you've got children, please do rush and thank the people who've looked after them for you. And um, we'll see you very soon. God bless.
If you do need prayer for anything and you want to come forward, there'll be people here that will pray for you. So please don't go away with a, with a need. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.